0: Welcome to the BWI Live Show. I'm Thomas Frank Carr. No snappy introduction today. I don't have a, I don't have a thematic intra- entrance for the show. So, just hey. What's up, Nate? Nate Bauer with me today. How are you doing?
1: Buddy. It's uh, It's U.S. Open week for golf. So, if I seem distracted, I am.
0: Okay. So, bad sports fan. I'm not a sports fan. I am a football fan. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's going on pre Thursday when the tournament starts, that's like intriguing about golf? <laughs> to, to be to be honest with you, that's the stuff
1: that I like the most, which okay. is, uh, talking about the golf course. It's at LA country club this year. Uh, it's, uh, it's just very cool. There's like golf architecture that they, you know, that they talk about how, mm-hmm. uh, the course came to originate, how players are going to play it, where, where they think, uh, you, you know, uh, shots should be basically like what tool. I don't know. It's just okay. It's just to me, it's uh, it serves Well, look, what do we do? Right? Like, we provide um, Sunday through Friday conversation
0: about wh- something that's going to happen on Saturday, yeah. Right? But like, other than the weather, like, you're not worried about well, there's a bunker on the 25 yard line, all football fields are supposed to be the same. So that's, that's the, true. the interesting thing that uh, I guess I don't really consider about golf because I can't hit the ball straight. So that would be just like, hey, can you make sure that when you hit it, it's not embarrassing? Because that's really yep. my goal anytime I've ever golfed.
1: Now this, well, you know, pros are better than us. Just,
0: uh, (laughs) shocking, like in football. (laughs) I know,
1: believe it or not. Uh, it's a, it's a real step up from the, uh, the amateur game, but in any case for
0: me, it's a, it's a very exciting week because I I love all of it. I'm totally into it. Yeah. I have like four hobbies, so I don't, I, I, am not well versed on golf, but I do love podcasts and I have been listening to sports conversation in general. So, What's your feeling on the Live merger? Seeing as we're here, we might as well talk about one of the biggest n- news items in sports history. I mean, this is pretty huge that something as it's... iconic and and traditional as, as the PGA is now totally different, right? Yeah,
1: I feel like there are some landmines that I'm going to avoid stepping on the, the geopolitical uh, side of it is like so loaded with, um, you know, to, to me a a little bit of uh, hypocritical thinking, I I would say, I I don't know. I I just like, I, I kind of see it as, Dish, a distraction really from, from this week, which like bothers gotcha. me a little bit because there's so much to be excited about for you about the, golf. the US open. I, I just want to see, the golf. I just want to see golf. I want to see the best golfers play golf. Uh, I mm-hmm. want, I I'm interested in some of what the analysts have to say. What, what bothers me in the lead up to it is how many, que- and listen, I'm a journalist. I get it. You have to ask the question, but all of these guys in, you know monday tuesday wednesday their their pre-tournament press conferences are dominated by this story which i get yeah. questions about yeah. this story but their answers are also in the dark because everybody's in the dark they're like mm-hmm. all of the details are are so few and far between that it's just it's just not really illuminating to me in the way that talking about la country club is illuminating like that's right. That's you more get that to me. that's that's I, a I, tangible thing at time right it's 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 funny because in some ways as a fan of golf i now understand somewhat why people get upset with me
0: talking about n i l yeah a little empathy training is what we call that a house. a little empathy i i yeah. feel
1: you guys i feel your pain it's a
0: it's i get it i yeah. get it now i'm still uh, going to talk s- about it all the time but because it's important and it's your job. Like it, it, it you is. can't. As much as you may want to ignore stuff, like you, you, you can't. Stephen here says, "Total money grab." Oh, like the current state of college football. So that ties in perfectly. Tom says, uh, "Most shocking sports business story." of all time super interesting so we're talking golf to start the show for the first couple of minutes and like you know it's june i don't i i want to leave a little bit of time in our lives to talk about non-penn state things so hopefully you haven't tuned out yet if you haven't we're getting to the good stuff here in just one second so nate you and i had an opportunity to talk to the penn state coaching staff really for a, a a good while last yep. thursday and of course they did it last thursday right after our wednesday live show so just in our, our calendar we're getting to it about a week later but like this is some stuff that is has i think you would say has legs right so it's yep. not just a one day story a lot of these things are super nuanced and interesting um we're gonna get into that we're also gonna get into the transfer portal because both you and i wrote about the transfer portal this week so that's gonna be a bit of a debate topic we're gonna do a little hot take radio i think and oh, then uh, we'll get to Between the Lines and the Mailbag Show. So, great show. Probably too much stuff. Once again, Nate, I put too much stuff in the show because I just I love all these topics. Yeah, well, you know, uh, whatever we run out of time for, we'll put it in next week. It'll be great. Uh, so, let's get to it then. You talked to a couple of coaches. I talked to one. So, I want to get your kind of tapestry view of yep. the Penn State coaching staff. Who, if, if you missed this, last Thursday, they opened up. The lash building and the media was allowed to come in and probably two hours worth of conversation hour and a half at the at the least there were three waves of coaches and about 15 to 20 minutes each and some of them went closer to half an hour so we got a lot of insight um a lot of that stuff has come out bluewhiteillustrated.com great time to sign up you just missed the deal by the way you just missed the dollar deals but you can still sign up at bluewhiteillustrated.com nate you wrote about uh let's start with ty howell because i'm interested in this in this battle of receivers and tight ends. And that was part of what you dug into with these guys. What did Ty Howell have to say about his position group and and how how do you wanna how do you wanna start about this conversation? I wanna I wanna say like four things. One, okay. you're wrong. The dollar
1: deal is still around. I'm oh, at, I thought it was done for those, today. For those uh, it is done at some point today, but for those who are watching live, uh if you look right now you could sign up three months for one dollar or uh the entire year for 50 so uh great 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 promotion it's not gonna last it ends today so yes. get in there get yeah, in there right make now. that happen yep. yeah um Ty howl is is very interesting to me and and actually like i wrote the story yesterday but it feels to me in some ways that the tight ends we're a little bit out of sight, out of mind uh, yeah. this, this past spring, right? Yeah. yeah. Theo Johnson was absent, uh, missed spring practice, Tyler Warren missed spring practice, y- you know, dealing with a couple of injuries there and re- recuperation from surgery, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I-, I feel like because of it and because of the way the receivers have been such a dominant part of the conversation that we've mm-hmm. really not, acknowledge just how crucial of an ingredient that the tight ends can be probably will be to Penn state's yeah. offense this season. Yeah. Right. I, I, it's um I don't know. It's, it's, it's almost as though James Franklin in his public comments has been trying to remind people of, mm-hmm. of that, of, of talking about, Hey, that uh you know, not only do the receivers have to compete with each other, But they need to understand that if there's not a third who rises to the level to demand being on the field all the time, Penn State schematically will adjust for that because they have a second tight end who very much can make a case uh, as an offensive weapon in the same vein as as those receivers. So to hear...
0: It's been an interesting, it's been interesting. I want to, I want to dive into that because I think James Franklin has been using the tight ends as a motivational tactic for the receivers. Like there is a little bit of psychology of, Hey guys, don't forget. Like he, he likes to lean on these things. Once sometimes you see them happen in real time. Cause at the end of spring practice, he said, he said like, and you could see like he was ready. He was leaning into like, Hey, I know we're talking about receivers, but, and then tight end threat. And then he he reiterated that today. So The tight ends, the receivers, I do think it is important, like here are our landmarks, here are our guideposts. Penn State, I believe, wants to be, in an ideal world, a three-receiver team. means 11 personnel, one tight end, one running back. But their talents and their depth lean towards these 12 personnel groupings. The ideal position, the most ideal position, is where you have the ability to pivot to anything and defeat any defense in any situation. That's kind of what Mike Yursich said to me was like, Hey, I don't, I don't don't care. 11 works, 12 works, 23 works, whatever your strength is, we are going to attack the defense where they're weakest and not worry about all of these things. But there's still the reality to acknowledge of we want to do this, but we will absolutely pivot and do whatever is necessary. Yep. Well, and, and, the
1: way that James Franklin said it, I believe it was in the spring at one point. It wasn't on Thursday, but he said he said something to the effect of, uh, you know, if if we go 12 instead of 11, it'll be Ty Howell will be happy and yeah. Marcus Haggins will be
0: upset. Sad. Right. Yeah, sad. Yeah, he said. He said he sad. said sad, which it made me laugh. <laughs> yeah, um, I just imagine like a kid who didn't get on the swings like that, yeah. like just sad, like walking away.
1: Yeah, just uh, <laughs> very upset about that. Uh, yeah. so, but I asked, I asked Ty Hal if I was just like, hey, you know, because there are certain elements of competitiveness. Look, I don't want to get into thirty minutes on this, but that that competitive element of. Uh, Jane Franklin's core values and what they want at mm-hmm. Penn State and and uh, how they present that to the team. There's a little bit of carryover to the coaching staff, or yeah. in some cases, there there can be right. Terry Smith wants three corners on the field, right? Anthony Poindexter yep. wants two two safeties on the field. It's it's
0: those he can, he can squeeze three into some formation. So yeah, absolutely, exactly. Yeah. So I asked I asked Ty Howell, I said, hey, you know, is is this true? Like, is
1: it? Do you take any pride in it? Is it easier to keep the room happy, like th- those different dynamics based on the direction that you guys go? And paraphrasing, he said, "No, no, I don't care. We want to win.
0: Like that's it." <laughs> Is- How did Marcus Higgins feel about that on the reverse? Did did you get a chance to ask him or get the vibe from there as the as the new guy? Yeah, did not get did not get an
1: opportunity to ask that sp- uh, specifically to him, but it, it just. To me, it was a little bit illuminating in the sense of they are very much trying to, and none of this is a prize, but they're they're trying to be everything. They would like to have the ability to have a, an answer, not just an answer, but a refined explosive answer to anything that a defensive coordinator can present to them, whatever, whatever the strength is, right. Whatever that is, is they want to be able to adjust their identity for those situations and and be able to exploit whatever yeah. it is that whatever emphasis, whatever weakness is presented by somebody else's emphasis, they
0: yeah. want to be able to exploit that. I, I think this has been an interesting evolution for Penn State, too, because you know, we've seen the typical James Franklin offense, spread offense, you know, re- zone read, three receivers, trying to generate as many explosive receiving plays as possible. Um, but, you know, I look at the NFL format and model, which is which is entirely different, by the way. It's entirely different. So when we talk about these cross um, ideological examples, like you have to understand there is a layer of massive difference with, with the salary cap and everything. But the best offenses in the league that we've seen – and the most explosive offenses in the league, they can pivot. Like, you can put two tight ends out there and they'll have an answer. You can put three receivers out there and they'll have an answer that is just, you're wrong, is how that works out. You know, you think the Kansas City Chiefs, they yeah. can go, they can go, not necessarily all the time heavy formations, but they can. Uh, the, the San Francisco 49ers, I think one of the most innovative offenses in the NFL, probably over the last 10 years, if you just look at what uh, uh, Kyle Shanahan has done, he can go. Two tight ends to three receivers and and also like two tight ends into a three receiver set like Penn State does. Like there's a lot of crossover and, and things you can learn. But the reality is Penn State is a receiver shy of being that, which I think is the tantalizing and frustrating thing for the staff. So um, yep. I know Haggins Mike Yurcich didn't want to talk about evaluations of anybody because they literally haven't seen anyone yet. What did yeah. Marcus, what did you learn from Marcus Haggins about that receiver room? not much it's kind of the same kind of the same thing right just just that
1: dante cephas has acclimated himself well to what they're doing it's not the game that is at issue for him it's all of the other stuff the the weight training the strength and conditioning all all of those fast and we see this i mean it's almost like a it's curious to me, and and it probably is something that we should investigate or look into further. Is why, what is it about what Chuck Losi is doing, what Deej before him was doing, yeah. that is so radically different from North Carolina? Right, we were we were talking yeah. about Storm Duck and and his his transition, Dante Cephas. Now you, you get it, it, right? When when the level has changed from. You know, whatever whatever it is, like a mid major to, yeah, uh, or a group of five, I should say, to to power five football. Okay, like m- maybe the resources change, right? The, the the um, you know, the methodology changes a little yeah. bit. But why is it that Trey Potts? What like what is it that's so different about what Minnesota does to what Penn State does, where it, it feels like this culture shock a little bit? Yeah. Uh, because that that seems to me to be a little bit of a consistent message. But anyway, um. No, he, you know, Dante Cephas, Keandre Lambert-Smith moving to the slot. Uh, Just a lot of, a lot of the feedback is, is very simply like, hey, these guys have shown flashes and it's just consistency. Can, what the next step for every single one of these guys, it's not isolated to a player who is on the verge. It is so many of these guys who have shown that they have the ability it's just a matter of packaging it and being able to do it play in and play out.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that that's a, a really great point. We can make we made a similar point about the defensive tackles recently too of like nobody is a complete player, but all of them have great traits and which one is going to be able to be the most consistent and accentuate those traits even if you aren't the dominant figure, which by the way PJ Mustafar wasn't a dominant figure in terms of production last year. That so they've they've succeeded without that necessarily. Um, not to, we're getting into that a little bit later. Um, Mike, you I want to talk about him a little bit and then we'll come back to Stacy Collins at the end. I was yeah. fascinated to talk to him. You know, I'm, I'm always fascinated to talk to him. Um, yeah,
1: I should, I should be the one directing this conversation now because yeah. you were the one who, after we left the lash building, were more or less geeking out for 10 minutes <laughs> over
0: some of the things that
1: he said to you. Um, yeah. What what was what was the thrust of of your conversation with him and, and some of the feedback that you got? So
0: it's mostly just insight into how it works from his perspective. How do you do the things you want to do? Because he is an intensely creative person. You know, you I, I look at his his schemes and the way he calls games and his play sequencing, and I see like. Uh, savant is a little bit like crazy, like a little bit over the top, but like a guy that gets it, a really good offensive coordinator that brings, and he talked about the creativity, the insight into your players in order to put them in the position to succeed. Um, That kind of was how he put it of like going beyond the analytics, going beyond what you're supposed to do in a certain situation from traditional football uh, understanding and then have that insight to call the right play. But how do you get there? How do you get there from here's all the things in my brain to you guys doing it correctly on the field? And I talked about, you know, my biggest thing and the thing we've talked about with Drew Aller is like it's, it's fine if he is all the things that he is, but there are so many unknown variables in a, in a sport that's made of chaos. How do you prepare a first-time starter? And, you know, not even just Drew Aller. Whoever is the starter is going to be a first-time starter. So there's things they've never seen. And they're going from Sean Clifford, who had seen everything twice. You know, the Tom Brady effect. of Playing for 20 years, you've seen everything. You have watched all of these things develop and evolve. How do you prepare them so that they're not so surprised by things that you can't operate the offense or they they get caught by something. Because if Drew Aller gets caught by a coverage he hasn't seen before or a front he hasn't seen before, a sack fumble, an interception, that changes the game. How do you get him into a position and and, and Bo Prabula and all the guys on, on the quarterback roster, how do you close that gap? And basically, what he said was like, it's, it's hard. Like, it just <laughs> the answer was, it is so hard because there's so much to go over. There is, you have to, you have to prepare for what you're going to see the most. Then you have to prepare for things that they're going to see, but you can't predict they're going to see on a regular basis and keep that unpredictability a part of the conversation of their growth while also leaving them confident at each step, because you can't just beat them into the dirt with, Hey, you haven't seen this before failed. Hey, you haven't seen this coverage before. Hey, they went three cloud left with a blitz from the weak side, eh, fail. Uh, you need to give them enough to be confident in order to um, progress. So just the balance of that seemed like it's it's the biggest thing for him. And then the, the other thing I asked him, and this is, the, this is the part that I think is super interesting that we don't consider, that nobody really wants to hear when it comes to college football, is that as a professional, you have so much time, your life is dedicated to playing football. Yep. And basically the way that, uh, Mike, yours is, just, I, I've asked him variations of this question before, but like, Last year's deep passing game had some hit or miss spots. How do you get the timing right? And he's like, you get basically one shot a week on a, on a shot play during practice, like installs Tuesday. And that's like first and second down situations. And third down is Wednesday. And that's it Thursday's review Friday's review. And then you play on Saturday. So you have to be on all the time. And like it's interesting, because I'm hearing him explain all these things, and like not that I didn't know this before, but it really clicks of when you see him at practice, if you ever get a chance to go and watch Penn State practice, I love watching Mike Yersich because he's so intense. He is so specific. He is so loud. He's so animated. Because you gotta get this right. There are so few opportunities to actually practice this stuff that you need to maximize those opportunities. And if it doesn't work that week, then you've got to pivot like okay so we're not going to be adding in a new play this week that we think can take advantage of some wrinkle in the defense because we just can't get it right somebody you've got to have 11 players locked in and getting it right in order to give you the confidence to call it so when you don't okay we just we found out maybe you didn't waste all that time but you found out and now you need to you need to pivot so there's like the layers of complexity to get a a play to work is is uh, vast. Especially with a new quarterback, because that compounds all of these things.
1: And once you get to the game itself, if you do have the uh, <clears throat> the um, the urge to call it right, the the willingness to call it, and then it doesn't work, it, that hesitation flowers on the backside of it right <laughs> like yeah. you don't you don't want to do it again you're not willing to take that chance again yep. and it's so it's got to be so precise i yeah no i'm i marvel at it all the time it's it's always funny to me uh the notion of like oh hitting hitting somebody in stride he made the receiver wait. what like you know what have you yeah this is this is the first try at that <laughs> in, in a you know what i mean like you just yeah the 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 preciseness of it is so difficult. Uh, It's so specific that I I just, um, yeah, I I don't hold that against quarterbacks for not having that uh, down to a T necessarily
0: every single time. But that's, but that is the differentiating factor between, you know, great teams and and teams that are like, you know, this is college and they're good. Is that, uh, and, and also why this time of year is so important because, the players can organize these activities and they can get some of the timing down on what they practice in the spring by themselves. And that's a huge thing. So that they can do it outside of that. So when it's like, it's like the dress rehearsal, you need to practice for the dress rehearsal outside of practice. So that when you're there on the practice field, you're ready to go, you know, your lines. Um, And you got that. I have, were you in theater Nate? I have still to this day, nightmares of not knowing my lines being on stage. And like, I didn't know I was in this play and suddenly I have to deliver lines and I don't remember them. Uh, so, like, I imagine it feels a similar way for football players. Yeah, I,
1: I uh, actually did do some theater in high school, and I just made it up. You bastard. <laughs> no, I mean, that's what, you, that's what you have to do, right? Is you're Improv. getting the exact line down is is probably not realistic a lot of the mm-hmm. time. And so you just. You what are you ad-lib. talking about? You ad lib. What are you talking little... about? You, I you, memorized the if... whole play one time.
0: I as long, as, 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 long as you
1: get as long as you get the, the thrust, the gist of what the, <laughs> the line is supposed to be, that that was always close enough uh, in, in my mind. I'm I'm curious before we uh, move on, did he provide any feedback on where Drew is with that first <laughs> little bit that you were talking about? Did he provide uh, any feedback no. on where he is in that process of the fire hose? Uh,
0: other than to say, like, so this is the whole conversation we're going to get to in a little bit. talking about james franklin is you know at least in my opinion there is this dance going on and and mike yurcich is not a guy who dances so he did not provide any updates on any of these guys because as he said like we haven't seen them we haven't seen them go one-on-one you want a year two update i don't have that for you because we don't have that information yet uh what he did say was if they're in the room they're capable of doing it um so like he recruits guys and i i would say that this is you know, from my studying of the quarterbacks that they've recruited and that they have brought into the program, they're all very smart football minds. So they all have the ability to do it. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to be writing about this and, and trying to put some stuff together later this week at com. A great reason to sign up, by the way, um, as we talked about earlier, because that's going to be some premium content. I'm going to do some, uh, I believe they call it, uh, uh, journalism. Nate, I, you might be familiar with it. I'm going to try no. my hand at it. Nope. Uh, so get into a little bit of that later. Steven, by the way in the chat says just bought my tickets for West Virginia from Tixman Jim. Hey, a, f- a past sponsor of the show I'm hoping we get him back for the fall. Tixman Jim if you're watching look at the impact. hello mm-hmm. of the BWI live show. So uh, hopefully we got him so excited uh, about the uh, football that he signed up because of that. Uh, we'll be getting to some of your questions in the live show so Josh you asked about the the T the formation. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Um, on the live show, or, I'm sorry, in the mailbag. Uh, Steven says, the schedule for a big-time D1 player is insane. You should do a segment on what a typical day consists of. Yeah, following those guys around from 5 a.m. until night would be uh, interesting because it is jam-packed, jam-packed. Uh, Nate, anything you want to end with here because I want to get it on to our conversation about uh, the transfer portal. I just want to tell Steven that
1: that we can never actually do a segment like that. We can never produce something like that because I'm not awake for that much of the day.
0: (laughs) Yeah. That's a, that's uh, a day in the life of Nate would be very different. (laughs) I would love to like smash cut from drew Aller to Nate (laughs) and just have a side-by-side during the day. (laughs) Just yelling
1: at my kids for (laughs) knocking
0: over my iced coffee. Oh no. Uh, okay. So you wrote about the transfer portal this week, assessing Penn State's yep. players that they got. And I wrote yep. an analysis about whether they won or lost in the transfer portal. You know, kind of a black and white, did you win or lose? So yep. I thought it'd be a great conversation here for just a couple of minutes to talk about. If you want to check out those articles again, bluewhiteillustrated.com, sign up, all the things. Uh, but Nate, how do you feel things went for Penn State in the transfer portal?
1: uh i think they largely went well i look one of the um you know we occasionally get prompts things that uh we should we can think about things that we see that other people in the network do and you know one of them was to look at how you know the on three transfer portal rankings right they kind of reevaluate players where they are in their careers. And sometimes they get star bumps guys that were three stars in high school become four stars, four stars, three stars.
0: You get the whole thing, et cetera.
1: Yes, et cetera. Um, But, but the rankings really kind of fall off. I would say after the top 100, 150, Mm -hmm. they go overall for all positions. They go to 300, uh And then within the position, they they also distinguish within the position group itself. And yeah. the the main takeaway is Dante Cephas was number 15 in those rankings yep. overall, yeah, uh, nationally. And yeah. so, to me, that that is the the black and white like highlight is: yes, Penn State had a position of need, and they scored. Uh, the the best available really mm-hmm. uh, that that they could have reasonably brought in and then the other the other guys are more or less the relevant you know yeah. that Trey Potts helps he helps is yes. he gonna is he the the day one starter is it is it like that kind of a situation no and and yeah. that's the same thing for Alonzo Ford it's the same thing for Audavian Collins like yeah uh, there's an element that James Franklin talked about of liking having more time with some of these guys. But I think yeah. that the underlying message to that statement is relax, right? Cause yeah. you're not going to see these guys this year or not yeah. much of these guys this year. So, they, they need some time to, to acclimate.
0: Yeah. So that's, that's where I took things is what were the stated goals? What were the objectives in the transfer portal? And then did they accomplish those je- objectives? And we talked about for weeks and weeks and weeks here on the, on the live show, about what Penn State was trying to get out of the portal. So if you want to check out those shows, like you can go through our catalog. And you know we got receipts for what they were looking for. So yeah. here were the main things they wanted. Two receivers out of the transfer portal. Uh, one At least one starter and one guy to contribute. A defensive tackle. And a uh, corner for now and a corner for later. Those are, I would say, the, the main four, five needs when you consider the number of players. Specialists were in there as well. I always discount specialists, but they're on the list. So I went, win or lose, did you accomplish that? And if you look at, like, the top four needs for the All-22, um, one receiver, Dante Cephas, huge win. If you hear James Franklin and how he talked about Malik McLean about how we were making a big deal about Malik McClain when he joined, which, by the way, oh. I felt seen and attacked. I laughed a little bit about that. I was like, <laughs> that might be me. Um... the 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 report so far has been 2024 right yeah so I consider that to be a receiver at least a push if not a loss defensive tackle Alonzo Ford 2024 they were trying to get guys in the portal I understand it is hard but we're not saying like is it hard we're saying did you do it and then finally corner they got a corner and then he left so like that is clearly a loss so if you look at their top needs. The specialists came in, but those guys are in a competition. None of them have been named starters yet. So, is that a win or a loss? I don't know. I the, getting them for the competition is the win, but it's not like they got the guys they need in the portal. So, I think it's clearly Penn State for the needs they wanted. They lost in the transfer portal. Go ahead. I'll go. No, next. no, no. Well, I, I was I was going to
1: bring up the specialists as being. I, I think that that has to be considered. Uh,
0: a disappointment at this point, just, just given okay. where the rate, right. Because I would, I would defer to you on that for sure. I, I can't, no, I just, win, but it is, it is kind of up in the air about whether nobody took the job in the spring. Right. I, I just think that like when
1: they brought Barney Amore in, they already had an established starter. And so mm-hmm. that was, he, he was a guy who they saw in the future where the hole would open that he could possibly step into even though they had a scholarship guy who was going to be on, on scholarship for, for that year. And he, and he was last year, Alex Paquetta. Mm-hmm. Right. But, but a more took that job and, and ran with it. He was, he was good for most of the season and and started obviously very strong. Yeah. This, they don't have the luxury of that. If Alex Paquetta isn't it right now, yeah. right? <laughs> like, like yeah, one, one of those two guys has to be able to step into that role and, and provide some consistency and performance. It's both, right? And and I think that the dynamics of the conversation for both specialist positions right now yeah. is, hey, you've got Sanders uh, Sahadek, who mm-hmm. he has this leg talent. Yep. Alex Paquetta has this leg talent. Neither are consistent. Both mm-hmm. transfers don't have leg talent not yeah. not at that level it, right the the highs are not as high and but the consistency is there the consistency is much better and so it creates this like you don't you don't really want either you want both <laughs> you, right you want you want both to be in the same package and that has not happened yet so yep. yeah I I'm look if you if you compare this class and and I'm curious to hear what your take is on this but if you compare mm-hmm. this transfer cycle class to last year's, where you could really point to, or even two years ago, when you can really point to guys who stepped in on day one, or maybe it wasn't day one, but became that through the course of the season. Like, uh, it's It's not there.
0: Yeah, it's hard. As good as Dante Sivas can be, he's not going to be Chop Robinson. Chop Robinson is a Potential first round pick in the NFL draft. Like, he is yep. exceptionally talented. Dante Cephas is going to be a good player and I believe can play in the NFL, but that necessarily isn't his. We're talking about, like, uh, you know, getting in the weight room and getting bigger and faster and stronger. And, like, Chop Robinson, A, he's already done that, but B, he came he's in. <laughs> he's a freak. He's a freak. So, this is the end of my analysis, by the way. Penn State lost in the portal this year, but, and Stephen Keel beat me to the punch. If Penn State is recruiting good enough, they shouldn't need the portal. This was for Penn State to be loaded, like looking like Arnold Schwarzenegger strapped up with grenades and like machine gun belts. They are ready to compete for a national champion, for for a Big Ten championship this year. But they do have question marks on the roster. They didn't answer all of their questions, which is going to get into you know we talked about receivers and defensive tackles all off season because they didn't get pure answers. Amari Evans changed the tectonics of the receiver yep. room, not Malik McLean. And that is not to say that Malik McLean can't be a guy that contributes this year. But right now, if we're doing the analysis and as you mentioned, like here are some things that people said, hey, maybe do an article about this. And here we go. My assessment, they lost in the portal, but that don't get don't get too upset because I don't think that it's necessarily the end all be all um, given a lot of good insight to some of the premium content. So if you're enjoying the show. And there's a good number of you out here. Please like the video. And if you could, subscribe to Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube to help us fight the almighty algorithm. We are the best Penn State sports show out there. And uh, I am the Tom Brady of competition here. I'm, I'm not overly competitive out loud, but I don't care that we have a tenfold lead on our competition. I am I'm aiming higher. I want to get us to some crazy high uh, heights of success for the show because I want to spread the love and the information and the knowledge we have at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. The way we do that is if you subscribe and you use your, your finger and you click the button for free and then you subscribe and that's it. So that's all I need from you. Uh, Nate. Do it. We have to get to something very quickly. I shouldn't say very quickly. We're going to give it the time that it is due. And that is rogueshop.com. They are the sponsor of today's BWI live show. They have been our football sponsor for almost a year now. Super excited to work with them. Um, Something that I haven't talked about before that I think is interesting because I I don't go anywhere or do anything. So I don't really run into a whole lot of people. I have like, like I said, I have like four hobbies, Uh, DIY projects in my house. I go to the gym. Uh, and I talk about football and my job and that's really it. So really I didn't even get to four. I've got three, but I went home recently and I talked to my brother and, uh, my nephew watches the show. So we were talking about rogue shop and my brother was like, what's rogue shop? And I said, it's this cannabis store that sponsors the show. And my brother is, I was, I was raised by old people. So most of my family is much older than me. So he's got kind of a old world view of these things. And he's like going on about like you know thc and weed and cannabis and here's something i want to tell you this stuff is non habit forming i don't use it unless i need it so let me show you like i told you i got these delta 8 gummies i haven't used them yet it's not like i got them and gobbled them all up uh because i haven't needed them yet so if you have a need for some of these things if you want to fight inflammation right now i actually have a fever before the show i took a little bit of this cbd oil this is the uh uh, tincture, it's the sugar-free mint, it's uh, CBD oil, helps with inflammation, helped me get my uh, fever down a little bit so I could not be a zombie here on the show. Use these products when you need them and they'll help you live a better life and, and combat some of the common al- common maladies in life and some of the uh, the things that you may go through if you have chronic illnesses that's what it's about, helping you with those things. And if you use the promo code BWI, you get 10% off at rogueshop.com. So check out rogueshop.com and make sure you tell them T Frank and BWI sent you. Nate, we got to get into a couple of things. And this is always the awkward transition because I'm the transition guy while also the imaging guy. So let's get into uh, between the lines. <laughs> Uh, they have both reps with so we're going to have to uh flip a coin here. Do you want to talk about Drew Aller or defensive tackles? Which one do you want to talk mm. about?
1: Today? What do you want to talk about? What do you like best?
0: Uh, I th- <sighs> let's talk about Drew Aller. Let's do Drew. Yeah, let's do Drew. So here's James Franklin talking about Drew Aller. And this, by the way, is an edited clip of James Franklin talking about Drew Aller and how long he went. Um, the thing that I think probably stood out to
1: me the most is when he got in the Purdue game as a true freshman, he just was like super poised. But at the end of the day, it's hard to teach that, the poise in the pocket. And he's able to make make people defend the entire field because of his arm. Uh, most college defenses will give you something, they have to. So most college defenses are going to give you the furthest flat. He has the ability to make those throws and make you defend to 53 and a third, uh, which which is, which is really valuable. The other thing that happens with arm strength, everybody gets excited about arm strength, but you better have accuracy. But when you do have arm strength and accuracy, it creates opportunities for yards after the catch.
0: So I wrote about all of that at BlueWideIllustrated.com this week, giving examples of what he's talking about. But, Nate, the thing I want to talk about here is, like, his first answer about Drew Aller was he's not the starter. And then he went on for about five minutes extolling all of the virtues of what Drew Aller could do in the offense. And by the way, what he described was that dude. Like, he described, for lack of a better term in college, a franchise quarterback. How, How are you handling the whole he's not a starter but... We're all acting like he's a starter, like, you know, not even his fault. He's going on podcasts and talking in in public forums, not saying he's the starter, but everyone's acting like he is. How how are you dealing with this particular uh, thicket in terms of how you're reporting this?
1: He's he's the starter, right? It's yeah, it's I, I don't think there's any sense in denying Reality, and I don't think that James Franklin is doing that. I think Mm -hmm. he just is always leaving open the door for the unexpected. Okay. Which is hey, uh, all all signs may be and in even for returning starters from the year prior, all signs point to that person can either maintaining that spot or or locking it down even further, right? Like that's, that's where it goes. Or sometimes you, you have somebody who's playing from behind, right. Who who doesn't have that experience, who, who may be able to unsee the starter, but you really gotta be above and beyond. You really yeah. gotta do it to, to take that job. I think that his answers have been consistent this summer on that trend of, yeah. Drew, Drew, Drew Aller is, yes, he, he, these are all the things about him. This is what he does. Well, he was the backup, the primary backup. He won that job last season. And so, yes, naturally, if, if everything stays the same, that's where he's going. However, what if he does not live up to past performance in the preseason, right? What if, what if Bo Prabula is so good that yeah. it just, that they don't have a choice, then, then, yeah, then things can change. The unexpected can always happen, and often the unexpected does happen. It's not all right. the time, but you get it every once in a while. So, yeah, Drew Aller's a starter. He's gonna be the guy, and and uh, you know, barring something way off the the
0: map, that's that will be consistent. Are you surprised um, that James Franklin is talking? I would call it excitedly. You know, going into great detail and, you know, I'm eating up all of the X's and O's stuff and like using all of that as fuel for my thoughts about the situation, trying to gain some insight into, you know, what Drew is behind the scenes that they know more of than we do. So are are you surprised at all that he is not, you know, I think he's doing, I think he's being genuine in all these moments. So like he's saying, he's not, we're not naming him the starter yet. Here are all the things I'm excited about. Um, do you, do you think that that, are you surprised by, I guess that kind of like gushing a little bit about drew? I don't, I'm not sure that I see it that way. A hundred percent. Okay. I don't think so. I I, I think it
1: takes prodding to get him to talk about it, to be honest Mm -hmm. with you. Like, I don't think that he has been so forthcoming about the things that drew does well. So like that, that is one of the things that I would describe as being, like as small as it is a, a yeah. lingering doubt that I have, right. It's like, it. why, why hasn't James Franklin been more uh, effusive in talking up this guy? And And I get it. I've been around James Franklin for a long time. I understand how he operates. He doesn't really talk yeah. about anybody in those terms. He doesn't talk about Nick Singleton in those terms. He doesn't necessarily talk about Abdul Carter in those terms. So yeah. I don't, I don't begrudge him for being consistent in how he,
0: evaluates things it i mean yeah it's i guess it is it's it's i guess to me like that answer you're right you're right he he isn't really talking up drew aller that's not that's struggling for the words in the moment that was the wrong way to put that but at the same time when he talks about drew and somebody asks him and this is the thing too is he's like he's trying to give a good answer so that we have Mm -hmm. something to talk about um and you don't want to run too far with it and then make him regret saying anything but at the same time like when he asked what can Drew do in the offense he talked about uh poise in the pocket he talked about arm strength and the the tactical advantage and then arm strength plus accuracy and he's good in the meeting room and he just listed all of these things that are like these are things that Pense fans are rabid for and i just like i guess to me that's confirm to me that is james franklin ta- code for confirmation of he is all these things behind the scenes Uh, whether he's that on the field in September, maybe we don't know that yet, but he's showing those things in practice.
1: Right.
0: Right. And and which is totally fine. I
1: don't think he necessarily talks about or has talked about weaknesses necessarily things that need improvement. And I think that that's in some ways by design James Franklin is is happy to talk about yeah weaknesses at other positions, right? For specific players, things that they that need to improve, things that need to change, um, you know, uh, divides that need to be bridged between the end of last season and the start of next season. I don't know that we've necessarily heard that of, about Drew Aller. Mm-hmm.
0: Like, and what well, he specifically said to Ben Jones last year, it's a asked, competitive like, disadvantage. What does he not do well? And James Franklin said, I'm not going to tell you that because then people right. will do those things. It right. is very important at the quarterback position because that dictates what you do defensively. Okay, we need to move on to the mailbag because we got some good questions in the chat. We got some questions from the the Lionstein message forum. So let's get to the BWI mailbag right now. We're going to start with Josh Bazin's question, but I am going to rebuke him here quickly. Talking about James Franklin, he says, everything is coach speak right now, so wording is meaningless right now in college football. Okay, so we just won't, we won't do a show. We just won't talk about it, even though like that's a thing that most people want to see or hear or talk about. So like let's just not talk about what James Franklin has to say. Uh, he does ask a question here in the, in the chat, though. Josh says, who's going to be the tight end in the middle of the T formation? I think this is a great question. Uh, Nate, this is a very important formation to Penn State fans. I think it's a very innovative evolution uh, that Penn State went through last couple of years. Bretton Strange was a huge part of that. A huge part of that. He is gone now. Um, I'm putting the Bennett Tyler Warren. Do you have a a counter offer for who's going to be in the middle of the T formation, and do you think that they'll be able to rec- replicate success there without a guy who was an above average blocker, an exceptional lead blocker, specifically uh, in Brenton Strange?
1: Good question. I I don't. Uh, I, Tyler Warren makes sense to me. I feel like we've seen him in that H back kind of role previously, yeah. so I don't. I don't see why not. Um, you know, Ty Howell, I did ask and this may be relevant to the conversation here, but Ty Howell, I asked him what makes each player unique between Theo and Tyler. And he basically said that they're much more alike than they are dissimilar. Like they they, they share a lot of the same qualities. He said that uh he said that Tyler's he called it his superpower was uh was like catching the ball, like just high pointing the ball yeah. and making contested plays. catch contested yeah. catch is that yeah. that is his special, um, ability. And, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, uh, I don't necessarily have an opinion on where they should go, but I, I think Tyler Warren makes sense. And yeah, it's, it, in terms of the blocking and, and what that role needs to be able to do in that formation yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, I would put that as as a huge question going into the season of yeah, can somebody replicate that and live up to that
0: uh, as uh, as this season goes along? Do you think so? This is this is another question I want to get into about Tyler Warren because this has been a fascinating thing. I've been on the Tyler Warren train for a while because of those high point catches, like just seeing him in practice, massa dude, with relative ease. Uh, but the consistency has not been there. Injury is a part of that conversation, though. So. Yeah how are you viewing him in terms of, like, we talked about this tight end two versus wide receiver three. Like, can he do it? Like, do you think that he is a guy that we have overhyped, or is he a guy that has been injured and things have been preventing him from being that guy? Including, by the way, not being on the field as much as the other two. Yeah, I I
1: hate to predict injury Like proclivity, you know, whether or not somebody is, has an issue with that, whether it's repeated or not. So I I don't know. I mean, I I think that certainly you've seen the flashes to think that it's a seamless transition into like Brent strange being gone. You would think, yeah, if you didn't know about Theo Johnson and Tyler Warren, you would think, oh, well, there's, there's going to be a step back there. But in a lot of ways, I think, (laughs) I think the conversation this off season became, oh, well hopefully Brenton Strange does go right. Like that was the yeah. fan sentiment was hopefully Brent strange does go so that these other guys have this opportunity and you don't lose one of them uh, moving forward. So uh, I, other- did, I did want to mention because I was, I was blanking on it. Uh, Theo's superpower <laughs> was uh, how well he runs.
0: According yeah, I, I wanted to guess and see what he is, see if I was right, but just a Ugh. vertical, vertical passing game, like absolutely yep. his superpower. And that's going to be an interesting evolution because Bretton strange, like just talking about the tight end position, Bretton strange was the play action guy underneath routes and, and getting yards after the catch Theo Johnson, if he wants to be a, a he's got the physical talent to be a first round tight end, you know, from, from all of those things. The, the blocking, he improved at the end of last year. I have to keep remembering that because he did really kind of come on at the end of last year as a blocker. There's no reason he can't be a complete tight end. And, and then my question is going to be, is he going to take a lot of those underneath routes or is Tyler Warren going to be that guy? Um, one thing I want to talk about with Josh as a follow-up, he says, I thought Tyler Warren as well, but is Jerry Cross the third tight end? One thing you talked about, kind of out of, out of sight, out of mind for, for the two top tight ends, things did not go well for the rest of the tight end class in uh, the spring. The the comments and some of the things when you ask James Franklin about, like, the rest of the tight ends, they were not good. Like, they were not glowing. They could, they could He had some kind of tangential conversations about effort and no one cares if you're not getting enough reps. Go and do it. And so, you know, Jerry Cross, what I've seen from him in the blue-white game the last two years, I'm not really expecting him to be a part of this. I would say, like, Dinkins is the other guy, right? It's Dinkins. Yeah. yeah and, and Dingins actually has very positive uh feedback
1: he he is he is a guy who needed a year to to kind of get into that make that transition from high school receiver uh, again Ty Howell, we talked about this yep a lot of these guys don't even play tight end in high school like they'd never yep. play the position so um it, he he said that he, he always offers advice to spend time in high school with the offensive line coach because so many of these guys don't do anything remotely close to it. They're either the quarterback yep. because they're one of the best players on the field, or they're a receiver. And so yep. you, you you don't uh, you, you just it takes some time usually for a true freshman t- tight end to get into it. But Khalil Tinkins has had that. He had that last season. He had that opportunity. Was able to do something with it. Um, you know, made a couple of plays here and there. Had a touchdown. And so given given his trajectory, he's. I would very much expect him to be the third tight end.
0: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And then the wild card here is Andrew Rappelier. Um, coming in as a as a mature freshman, um, I think we've chronicled that pretty well. Fitz and I have talked about that quite a bit of what we we very glowing about what Andrew Rappelier can do for Penn State. But the question is like, can he get up to speed in time? And and is there even for a physically developed young man, is there a transition to, to college that he can overcome without being in the spring? And that's that's the biggest wild card to me is, like, does he leapfrog some of those guys? So even though, like, you know, we haven't really talked about Mega Barnwell leading the program, Joey Schlaffer, uh, uh, um, Chuck Losey talked about how much of a stride he's made, but that's also being that he was so far behind from a physical standpoint. Penn State is still fine at tight end. They still have a lot of depth and talent. But really, it's going to be those three guys at the top for sure. So great question to start us off. Let's get on to something else, though. This one I want you to answer. Outside the BWI preview, of course, do you read any of the preview magazines? And so, if so, which ones are your favorites? Nate, when does the preview magazine come out first? And then answer the second part of that question. Yeah, so
1: our preview magazine comes out in July. Um, I wish I had the date in front of me. I don't. I promise I'll answer that next week. It's, it's the middle of July is okay. when it comes out. I want to, I, I, I want to say like July 15th or July 13th. Uh, so do I read ours? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> cover to cover. Um, you know, I, I trust our insight. It's actually, it's funny that this question is here. Um, I encouraged our network to share some post spring thoughts with each other, so that we don't necessarily have to rely on those preseason magazines, because while Phil Steele, I I do think is something of a, a great reference material. It's almost like like my eyes glaze over because it's encyclopedia type reading. Like you're not, yeah. There's no there's no storyline to it. There's it's no a fire narrative. hose of
0: facts, which is what it's I a you fire know, hose of fact.
1: Yeah, uh, I do think it is often better than some of the insight that you're going to glean out of an Athlon or Lindy's um, and, and they're yeah. fine. like, look, I, I don't, I don't hate on any of the preseason material because I, I do think that you can clean uh, nuggets yeah. uh, occasionally. And especially for, for me, like, I mean, I can't, I, I don't know how to say this without <laughs> sounding like a jerk, but if I'm learning anything from any of the national publications about Penn state, then I'm not doing my job very well. And right. So I, I don't learn about Penn state. What I do learn is it gives me a snapshot of the other teams in, on the schedule for Penn state. Yep. Right. It, yeah, because absolutely. I, because I, I like genuinely, I don't know. I don't know those things. I don't know what Ohio state has coming back. I don't know about Michigan. I don't know about uh, Indiana. Right. Like, so any of yeah. any of those teams, it, it is a, it is a good resource, especially in the summer months when things are a little bit toned down, a little bit slower to, to be able to catch
0: up and, and get that knowledge base. So let's get to our next question. What are your thoughts on Penn State not having a single protected rivalry game for the future schedules? Nate, um, you know, journalistically, do you care? Do you think that that's an interesting note that Penn State has been hashtag unrivaled and now they um, really don't have a protected rival? Yeah, I think it's,
1: I think it is, I think it is overwhelmingly to Penn State's benefit Mm-hmm. To, to to not have that type of a game. I look, like if you're Ohio State or Michigan and you're one of the fans of those programs, okay okay, like I, I get it. That's a game that you want to see every single year. Take your fandom out of it. It is unquestionably <laughs> a competitive disadvantage for those teams to have to face each other every single season. Yep, like yep. not even not even close. So, uh, yeah, like if Penn state and Rutgers was a rivalry and sure the fan bases can get heated sometimes, but like, if if that was a protected rivalry game, then maybe fine. That would have been, uh, something of an advantage for Penn state, but I think to not have one and be the only big 10 team that doesn't have one
0: is much more skewed to the positive than it is to the negative for Penn state. It is a fascinating situation because every other team has rivals and some have multiple. Um, So from a a narrative standpoint, Penn State having none is is interesting and unique. Uh, And as from a competitive point, I think you make a great point. Tom says he's going to use a fire hose of facts in the meeting at some point. That is free free to use. I I endorse (laughs) you using that. Here's another question that I don't have a great answer for, but I think is a great conversation point. Who do you see taking fourth offensive tackle reps at this point? Penn State Um, you know, we talked about the transfer portal. I I called it a luxury need. I didn't count it against them. They didn't get a veteran fourth tackle because who wants to come in and not start. But, you know, we don't know if there's a guy that uh, is really solid at that point. Nate, this is going to come from somebody on the interior, right? Like this is going to be a, a guard that has some tackle versatility because they don't, I don't think any of the, the young guys from what we've seen are ready to step into that role. I think that that is fair. It's not going to be Javen Williams, right? Like, he's he's. I don't he's a hard redshirt to me. Yeah,
1: I don't think so. I think that that's where that's trending. I, I guess you never know. Maybe You know, some of these guys... Like, it's really difficult to evaluate, I think, the early enrollees outside of... Like, okay, Nick Singleton and Catron Allen really impressed in that first spring. Um, yeah, Kalen King was a guy... Kalen was an early enrollee. He He impressed yes. early. That was a yeah. guy who who there were, we had conversations about those guys. It's really hard, I think, for some of these guys, for most of those early enrollees to make a splash in their first few months on campus. And so I like to give a little bit more leeway of, hey, okay, uh, give them give them the spring to get their feet wet, give them the yeah. summer to, to really acclimate and start to turn the corner into making a push. All of which is to say, sure, I'll leave the door open for some of those guys, but... More likely, I think, is a JB Nelson, right? Yeah. As like, I don't know that they have a one-to-one immediate yeah. backup situation. Yeah. I, I do think you're more likely to see some some switcheroo in case something should happen.
0: I, I know um, he's penciled in as the starter, but Landon Tangwall, I think, is is a guy that. Sure. We kind of I don't want to say we forgot about but it, he's been removed from the conversation. Even though like other than arm length, he's everything else you want in a tackle as far as 6-6, six, six. he's got good foot, he's got good footwork, he's got good feet. Um and I, I you know, the injuries last year were a big part of kind of him sliding off the radar. I wonder if in a pinch which one of those guys are they moving? Is it is yep. it JB or is it Landon? Cuz I think it's one of those two guys. Um, I I think
1: ahead. that what James Franklin said this spring that people should keep in mind is um, and I'm, I'm doing a little bit of reading between the lines here, but I think that drew Shelton is definitively not the backup right tackle. Right? Like I,
0: I don't think that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> like I don't think, I don't yeah. think that's his based on the blue white was... game can confirm. Like that was not, so, a, that, that was a rough day for him. Yeah.
1: So, so because that transition, they, they tried it. I, I, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what they do there, but I don't, I don't know that he has the ability to move back and forth as though he's yeah. the default, as if something would happen to left or right tackle starters that he yeah. would slide into to both spots. I think he would absolutely slide into left tackle.
0: I don't yeah. necessarily think he would be the solution for them at right tackle. It would take a couple of injuries, I think, for them to go, okay, like this is pull the rip court emergency situation. And by the way, like that's not to say he's also not a great option at tackle. Right. Because just yep. because he is behind where I think the perception of him is, like they have three legitimate tackles. Whether you like <laughs> Caden Wallace or not, he is a he is a uh, you know, a good standard right tackle in the Big Ten. It's about put not putting him in a situation to fail. And I think the offense can do that. And when you have three good options, just think like getting a little get a little gel, uh, not jealous, getting a, getting a little greedy here of like, do they have four offensive tackles? Like they haven't had four offensive tackles in years. So having three, good they haven't options?
1: had two offensive tackles in
0: years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. All right. Last question today. And this is another Nate Bauer special. I uh, I'm going to you. Why don't you can you read this as your screen big enough? Because I'm not totally sure I'm going to capture this correctly this from Psychim on the message board. So can you read this or do you want me to read this? Yeah. I'll read it. What's Penn state. What is Penn state's
1: plan, uh, to rise in the overall college rankings for all sports, which is the Learfield cup. Okay. Uh, is Penn state doing better at getting donors on board for sports facilities? And would they consider naming rights of sports facilities if the price is right? Uh, to the last question. Absolutely. That is on the table. Uh, I was at the board of trustees, uh, planning meeting, whatever you want to call it. Whenever the, (laughs) whenever the first uh, load of projects that included Beaver stadium came through. And one of them was an internal discussion about naming rights for the practice bubble, the, the inflatable air bubble that will be adjacent to the soccer field. And it was very much the state puffed um, facility. Yeah. Well, you know, it was like the PNC air bubble or whatever. You're going to figure something out. Penn state health, what what have you? But yeah, there's a huge branding opportunity there because it's a blank slate. There, right? Yeah. I mean, there's no and you've seen it. You've seen it at other facilities and other bubbles. There are branding opportunities there. So absolutely, um, that that would be on the table. Beaver Stadium. I have not heard anything in that vein. I know we're always talking about that, um, but That'd certainly somebody the-
0: check right. Like that, the threshold for that would be significant, or would it be any come any taker any money is good money. Um, yeah, good
1: question. Good question. I mean, I think that you want to get market rate. You want to, you want, Mm -hmm. those are all things that there is a market for and people who are much smarter than me or, um, have their finger on the pulse of that would understand that. But yeah, I would, I would hesitate to think that Penn state would go below market value. Uh, just to, just to slap a corporate name on, uh, on Beaver stadium after its renovations. Um, as, as for the Learfield cup, like I, it's, it's a fascinating question to me because I, I think it is the fundamental problem of Penn state athletics right now that yeah. anyone really cares not, not that they right. care. It, it's fine to want success in other sports, but right I point to it over and over and over again. It is the success of the football program that will, and in some ways the success of the basketball program, but overwhelmingly 90% football, 5% basketball, that will influence the success that is opened for those other sports. The one thing that I would say is you do see some movement in the coaching ranks over the last 12 months of, of Pat craft. Yeah. uh, To to where they are bringing in like some of the old guard kind of is, is either retiring or has been uh, let go in in some of those positions. They've had a bunch of coaching turnover over those last 12 months. So it'll be interesting to see, where women's volleyball is going where baseball is going. Yeah. Field hockey obviously had a change, um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting time in Penn state athletics. A lot of, a lot of balls for, uh, for Pat craft to be juggling at one time, but you do see, I think, as has been made clear by him, the need or the want to be successful in all of the sports that they sponsor. Yeah. Right. Which is 31. They don't that they, yeah. they are not interested in, um, you know, coming at it, it with with half effort.
0: Uh, so I lied. One follow up question from David here in the chat. He says, help me out. If you are OK, left tackle, why can't you move to the opposite side and play right tackle? Uh, you can like that. So some players can do that. It's it's being ambidextrous. So like I am not good with my left hand. I am right-hand dominant. If you have the mental flexibility to mirror and like flip all of your technique from the left side to the right side, you can play. But it is a different muscle memory, and I want to point this out. Uh, Drew is still learning the the first one. He is still nailing down being a very good left tackle. So when you then try and say, "Okay, like you're getting this, we feel like we were we're confident enough with you at the left side." How do you do on on the right? And maybe that's too much for somebody. Like, that's just an overload of not being able to chew gum and walk at the same time. And and that's why I would say young players specifically. Young players, you might have the most adaptability or you might be overwhelmed. Guys that are a little more veteran. Bryce Effner, I think, is a great example of where Penn State lost this of a guy that could play four positions. And I was just watching some film the other day of him blowing up guys at guard. Uh, they they will miss that they will miss that flexibility of having a guy that can play on both sides, pretty well in most situations. So the the answer is just that Drew couldn't really get down the right tackle fundamentals when they were flipped from what he was used to and learning on the left side.
1: And it's also something that could change as his career progresses. Exactly. There's, there's no there's nothing preventing that from happening in the future. It just it just didn't happen on the right side this spring. I, I think that. You know, just given the interviews and the way people talked this spring and this offseason, uh, you know, you wanted to push Caden Wallace. You wanted better from Caden Wallace or to yep. to see if he deserved to hold on to that job. And two things happened. One, Caden Wallace, which is not talked about nearly enough, like asserted himself in a way, unlike any other point in his career at Penn State, He he had a great, outstanding spring. Uh, and then also, you figured out that Drew Shelton wasn't up to that. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, that, that's not his deal. Is uh, the right side at this moment in time is is not where he fits. Uh, it's, it's not a seamless transition for him specifically to that right side. So he'll he'll get opportunities on the left side. Right <laughs> there, will, there will be a, an effort to protect the decision that fashanu made to come back. Yeah. Right. Like you want to yep. absolutely make sure that that was not a poor decision on his part. You want to have that value for him on the backside of it. He's going to get a ton of reps, obviously, but when there are opportunities
0: for Drew Shelton to slide in at left tackle, they'll do that. Yep. Yeah. And like the spring, he got a lot of opportunities. Olu not participating a whole lot. We didn't see him out there. So Drew got a lot of work and we'll see where all that lands. Um, Nate, you kilt it today. Just kilt. Oh, awesome stop. show. I had fun.
1: Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. And and you for uh for fighting through your your flu game. Your, your yeah. Jordan uh <laughs> I, I just saw I just saw there's an auction selling his sneakers, Michael Jordan sneakers from uh-huh. the flu game. Is uh is the flu virus dead at this point? <laughs> I, I, I believe the that. I believe the flu virus is dead. Guess how much they, they were autographed? Ten thousand dollars. A, a thousand dollars? 10,000. I said 10,000. Yeah, Uh, sir. They they were the last I checked, which was yesterday. They were at one point one million dollars.
0: Man, there's there are too many people with too much money on their hands. You know, there's like (laughs) we can do more productive things than that. There's a great
1: story, though, to it. He after that game, he gave the shoes and signed them to a Utah Jazz ball boy. Yeah. Uh, and did so because the ball boy had applesauce ready for him after the previous games. Oh wow, that there was Michael Jordan's. Uh, that was Michael Jordan's post-game snack. He needed to my- rehydrate
0: and refuel with applesauce. I Love I it. had a halls and black coffee this morning, which just like <laughs> reanimated my insides after breakfast. You did it uh, so you did it. like. This is this is this is one of those things like so I went to the gym yesterday and I totally destroyed myself. So it feels like my whole body is like my skin, like I worked out my skin because I got a fever and I'm sore. So not Michael Jordan. And luckily, my Michael Jordan moment is sitting here in this chair doing absolutely nothing physical. So that's great. But we'll get back. We'll have more great content at bluewildillustrated.com. Uh I'm not going anywhere. Uh, this isn't going to put me down. We're going to be make sure sh- we're going to make sure. I'm trying to transition out of this awkwardly. Uh, but we're doing it. And we're going to get going so that we can get to all that great stuff at bluewildillustrated.com. Please subscribe here on the YouTube channel. We'll talk to you next time.